Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Amen. It is so good uh, to gather together as the body of Christ, and as we have been doing for quite some time, we've got a couple of update things for you uh, tonight as we are now three weeks or so past uh, what we believe would be this second going into third phase of our confinement. Before we get to that information, for those of you that had signed up previously for our Israel trip, we would have been leaving in about uh, eight weeks from tonight. And so I wanted to let you know what's going on there. And you can find this information also on our website. Um, But we are actually going to postpone that trip uh, in checking with our tour uh, provider, both the airfare, the state of Israel, and also all of the hotels are still uh, on firm lockdown in the state of Israel. And so uh, we are not going to risk you not being able to reschedule maybe a trip for this summer. And so we are postponing that. You have a couple of options. You can actually withdraw and pull out, or you can simply allow uh, your deposit to be transferred to that new date. And our new dates are actually really good ones. They are the Wednesday after Easter uh, in April of 2021. So April 7th to the 18th will be the same itinerary, same hotels. So uh, we'll be going to all of the sites that are listed on our website. And so I encourage you to check that out. If you need to get a refund, we can do that for you. And if you want to just simply make sure that your name's first on the list for 2021, uh, you can do that as well. And if you'd like to sign up, you aren't already signed up and the Lord's blessed you during this time, uh, we'll go ahead and make sure that you can do that as well. So uh, you can find that information at ccsouthbay.org and then forward slash Israel 2021. I want to speak to you just for a couple of minutes. I think it's important as we uh, try and keep you abreast of the information as best as we have it. And we did get a new order, uh, just actually came out two days ago. Uh, It was actually posted on the 11th of June, but we got an official copy of it uh, here at the church. And I want to draw your attention to a couple of things, and that is simply this. Nothing has changed. There are no Uh, new bits of information for us as a church. We're still under the same order. And the reason I wanted to show you that, uh, and and if we can zoom in, I'll have the the cameras do it. Um, But this is not a suggestion. Uh, This is actually a law. And so for those of you that have uh, continued to write an email and say, well, such and such a church is meeting, Such and such a church has children's ministry. Such and such a church has chosen uh, to do something different. I I will refuse to speak for those churches that you're referencing, but I can tell you what this actually says. It is addressed to me, and it says, by order of the health officer of the County of Los Angeles Department of Public Health. And it further states Please read this order carefully, and I would encourage you to go online. You can read this for yourself, but probably you'd have a tough time finding it. It's buried on the website fairly deeply. 
a violation or failure to comply with this order is a crime punishable by fine, imprisonment, or both, California Health and Safety Code 12295, Los Angeles County Code 11.02.080. Why am I telling you that? Because it's not an option. It is not an option for us to decide that we're going to fill the sanctuary uh, with people. We have been ordered by a law just the same as we have been ordered uh, to not rob banks, uh, not steal one another's property, not speed at 100 miles an hour down the freeway. Uh, It is not an object for debate. It is a law. And we believe that as the law states, it is for the public's health and for their safety, for those that uh, might still be at risk. And I want to share with you a very prominent reason, which was published yesterday uh, in the Los Angeles Times regarding a church, and I will leave their name out of it. You can find it for yourself uh, in Union City, Oregon. This church chose to violate that state's order, that state's law, and met at full strength. They filled their entire sanctuary full of people. Uh, They did it more than once. They held a couple of weddings. They held a graduation ceremony. And then they got an order from the state health department that someone in their body had tested positive for COVID-19. As it stands right now, they are responsible singularly for the worst outbreak of COVID-19 in the entire state. They have now tested that church body and 66% of the entire congregation is infected with COVID-19, including 16 people who are currently in intensive care. And so before anyone decides that they want to send me another note and tell me that I'm not being brave and I'm not following the Lord, I'm going to tell you once again, we are not breaking the law. We're going to continue to do what we're doing right now until it is deemed safe by those governing officials that the Lord has put over us according to Romans chapter 13 and many other passages, 1 Timothy, 1 Peter as well. So please bear with us as we do our very best to keep one another safe and where we have been given permission, as we will do next week, we'll meet with married, uh, we'll meet with the ladies' studies twice and we'll meet with the men's study and we'll look for opportunities where we can be in full compliance without endangering anyone and making sure that we are doing our part Uh, to end this thing, because the last thing in the world I want to be responsible for uh, is a news article on the front page of the Los Angeles Times saying that the reason we're going to be locked down until Christmas is because of Calvary Chapel South Bay uh, spreading this virus to thousands of people. And so thank you for being kind, and thank you for being respectful, and thank you uh, for following what the law actually says and being the people of character that I know you are. Uh, You are a blessing to me, and to that end, we are going to continue to do virtually what we've been doing, which is study God's Word, and along those lines, would you turn to Isaiah chapter 22. Isaiah 22, and the final of these burdens uh, that we'll get to to a specific place, this the burden of Jerusalem. We have one more, the burden of Tyre, but Isaiah has taken these 11 different places And he's spoken to the woe of each individual place. And tonight is a very unique one because it's speaking specifically of Jerusalem, the capital 
uh, of what remains really uh, of the Jewish people in Judah. Uh, the Assyrian army has taken over the northern ten tribes, and now uh, they're they're literally outside of the city. They're they're on Mount Scopus. They're they're beginning to crowd in around with this incredible military force, and they're about to lay siege to the city of Jerusalem. And the reason this is so important for us tonight is this. Uh, We have been laid siege to. We've been laid siege to by the coronavirus. We've been under that siege now for three plus months. We're under the siege of violence, racial injustice, We're under the siege of of protests, some of which are very, very warranted, and some of which have just turned into looting. We're we're under the siege of hatred. We're under the siege of mistrust. We're, We're under the siege that is all coming from the same source, and that is the enemy. This is not our fellow man so much responding to these things. This is the enemy taking advantage of the days and times that we live in and the wickedness of the hearts of men. And so just like the children of Israel now confined to really one tribe, Judah, to the southern kingdom that is now incarcerated, if you will, inside of this little tiny city that was at the time the city of David, the, the, the Ophel, Zion, We are getting a lesson tonight in what it means to trust either in ourselves or to trust in the Lord. And so I pray that you'll be encouraged and strengthened and built up. And why don't we turn our attention to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless our time in the word. Father, we again honor you, Lord, as you spoke through the prophet Isaiah Some 2,700 years ago, these words, and while their chief application is to the children of Israel, they absolutely apply to us in that we have choices to make. We possibly are up on our housetops. Maybe there is noise in our city and it's tumultuous. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word, that you would bless us with understanding that you would strengthen us for the days that are ahead, that we would not grow weary while we're well-doing. In due season, we will reap if we do not grow weary. And so, Father, thank you for that opportunity that we have to hear from you tonight. Bless your word now as we read it and hear what the Spirit has to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, Isaiah 22, the burden against the valley of vision. And we're going to see... Uh, When we get to verse 10, that the valley of vision is really referring to the valley of Jehoshaphat, which is just outside of the city. And this place will be named in verse 10 as Jerusalem. So this is the burden against Jerusalem. What ails you now? You might be asking yourself, well, what ails us now? It seems like this endless string of things that no human can solve difficulties that none of us have really seen uh, ever before. There are certainly old problems, but they're being manifested in new ways. And the same was true for Israel. What ails you now that you've all gone out to the housetops? You who are full of noise in a tumultuous city, but also a joyous city. You see, the city of Jerusalem 
Jerusalem is supposed to be the city of peace, but now it's a besieged city. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, it seems like three or four months ago, things were going really well here in, in the greater Los Angeles area. Now, we were looking forward to the beginning of a baseball season. We're about to see the end of spring training and the start of the regular season. And our Dodgers maybe march towards a, finally a World Series title, one that we haven't seen since 1988. We were looking at both Los Angeles teams, both the Lakers and the Clippers, uh, probably battling it out. Uh, for the Western Championship and, and for a right to go to the NBA Finals. We're, we're looking at a new stadium that's about completed that we'll see the Rams and the Chargers in it. We're, we're seeing economic prosperity. We're seeing all kinds of really wonderful things. Low unemployment rates. These things that perhaps you were looking at and you might be saying, what ails you now? What more can go wrong? is another way to look at it. Well, what's up with this might be another way to rephrase that. And then it gives us some insight. Your slain men are not slain with the sword, nor are they dead in battle. The problem's not the Assyrians, which was the reality for the Jewish people that were trapped in the city of Jerusalem. That was their reality. The real enemy then was Assyria. Sennacherib was going to come. Uh, he, he would send the Rabshakeh to, to make a peace treaty. Hezekiah, the great king, is trying to lead his people at that time. But Isaiah gets a glimpse into a situation that I think for us is so important tonight. They're not slain with the sword. They're not dead in battle. All your rulers have fled together. They're captured by the archers. And all who are found are bound together. And they've led them afar. You see, when leadership bails, when the church caves, when we begin to think with the flesh of our minds instead of the spirit of God, when we're unwilling to stand where we know things to be true, then perhaps we put ourselves in this exact same situation. I personally have never seen the church more divided than it is right now. I have not ever seen the country seemingly more divided than it is right now. And yet the same God that has been God over all for all eternity is still God tonight. Could it be that we, just like the Jewish people, were turning to the wrong place? Could it be that we're looking for a solution from someone who can't give it, from a group of people who don't have it? Are we looking with the eyes of flesh and thinking with the mind of flesh, looking for a solution of flesh when we ought to be on our face before a holy God? And therefore I said, look away from me, verse 4 says. I will weep bitterly. Do not labor to comfort me because of the plundering of the daughter of my people. Isaiah's getting a picture here. He's, he's like, there, there's nothing that man can do to console him. And as Connie and I were driving in and getting ready for service tonight, 
we were just remarking how, how crazy it is. She, she was out doing a little, a few errands today. And as she's doing it, people are just, they're short. They're losing their minds. They're being unkind. It's like this, this pressure of our environment that we're in. It's as if we're trapped in the city walls of Jerusalem and the devil is just having a heyday with people's minds. And I think it would behoove us to listen to what the prophet speaks to Jerusalem with that regard. And instead of turning to the Lord, they turn to everyone and everything else. They weren't even communicating with God, and Isaiah knew this. They were starting to make allegiances and alliances, and instead of seeing that work out, they were just seeing more destruction. And if we as a church truly believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that he is the answer, that his word is truth, then maybe the Lord is calling us to be refocused, to turn back towards the Lord, to to not rely on all these things that people are caught up in right now. I've had some wonderful conversations in the last couple of days with people who have genuine concerns. But it was interesting to me as I'm speaking to them and talking with them, nobody has any solutions. Nobody's got an answer. I I have been asking simple questions. Well, what do you think we should do? I don't know. Where do you think we should go? I don't know. How should we handle this? I don't know. In the face of great calamity, very often humankind doesn't know. And I believe that the Lord often brings us to these places to allow us to get to the end of ourselves so that we will cry out to him. So that we will say, Lord, only you can deliver us. Lord, only you can save us. And so I was saying, don't even try and, he's he's, he's looking at the people, don't even try to comfort me. This is just too great. And maybe you're feeling that way tonight. Maybe you're saying, ah, don't bother talking. I don't even know that I want to hear from the Lord right now. I understand that. It's not right, but I do understand it. There are times when we, we just want an answer, and we want it right now, and we want to be able to implement it. We want to be able to feel it and taste it and look at it. And very often what God is saying to us is, I want you to walk by faith. I don't want you to walk by sight. I'm not giving you an answer because if I gave you an answer right now, then this whole thing would be for nothing. It's kind of like the shutdown that we're still under. I wonder if the church would actually learn its lesson, if people would actually get where they need to go, if the Lord wouldn't just simply release us from this. I have wondered if the Lord isn't saying, "Mm, as long as you're going to keep being rebellious. So are you going to keep turning to the world? You can just ride that train a little longer. Notice verse 5. For it is a day of trouble, treading down in perplexity. What a great word for where we are as a nation right now. Perplexity. We are perplexed. We are betwixt and between. We haven't got a clue. 
We had an idea once, it got lonely and died. We, we have no idea what to do right now. You talk to 10 people, you get 20 different answers. For it is a day of trouble and treading down and perplexity. Notice the next phrase. By the Lord God of hosts in the valley of vision. In other words, he at the end of verse 5 is breaking down the walls and, the, and crying to the mountain. The Lord put the children of Israel, those that were the remnant, those that were of the tribe of Judah, God himself, just like he put the disciples in the boat in the storm, he's put the Jewish people in the city of Jerusalem saying, when are you going to stop trusting in your walls? When are you going to stop trusting and and crying before the mountain, walking outside on your rooftop and looking up at Mount Scopus and going, oh no, the Assyrians are on the high ground. Oh no, this unrest is going to be in my neighborhood. Oh no, nobody understands what I'm going through. And I'm not diminishing for a second the suffering, the injustice, the hurt, the pain. I, I would never do that, and I know the Lord wouldn't do it. But I am saying there is an answer. And it's not in a bunch more laws. There is an answer, but it's not in building bigger barns. There is an answer. It's not in more prosperity. That answer is inclining our hearts towards the Lord. It's seeing God where we should be seeing God, in charge. Seeing him as Lord of our lives, master, calling the shots. Verse 6 goes on. Elam bore the quiver with chariots of men and horsemen and Kir and covered the shield And it shall come to pass that your choicest valleys shall be full of chariots and horsemen shall set themselves in array at the gate. He's basically saying, you're going to look outside of your beloved city and all you're going to see is the enemy. You're going to look in the choicest valley, the place where you would normally go to harvest your crops, and you're going to see the enemy. Those places that you used to trust in, it's like, oh, we have food forever. There will be the enemy. Places that you would go to recreate, to get out of town, as it were, there's the enemy. And I really believe this is, this is perfect for us. Yes, it, it applies prophetically, and we'll get to that a little bit later. And we're going to see where this will ultimately go. And it was certainly true for the Jewish people then. They were about to be taken Uh, into a horrible time of siege. He, who's the he in verse 8? That's God. He removed the protection of Judah. He said, you want to trust in this dirt that you're building the city on? You want to trust in the walls? You want to trust in the money? You want to trust in anything except for me? I'm going to tear it down. Haven't you learned anything by watching what happened in the north? He's saying to them, look what's happened to Ephraim. 
Look what's happened to Israel. They're already done. He removed the protection of Judah. You looked in that day to the armor of the house of the forest. You're looking in the wrong place. God's saying, look, you're looking to your armor. You're looking to your wealth. You're looking to your protection. You're looking to all these other things, but you are not looking to me. And we need to look to the Lord. We need to look to the Lord. I will tell you, for me, it's getting real lonely where I'm standing right now. One by one, I'm watching people just, I'll just, well, you know, so-and-so said, so we're going to do that. My Bible says that I'm going to do that. I don't care what so-and-so says. I don't care what so-and-so does. I want to do what the Lord asked me to do. I want to turn to the Lord. That's not meant to be a knock on anyone. That's to say, look, in times of trouble, we need to turn to the Lord and not to the flesh. You also saw damage to the city of David that was great. The city of David at this time was a, was a minuscule city. It was a tiny place. You, you could walk the length and the breadth of it, 15 minutes in each direction on foot, and you'd be out of the city. Probably 10 minutes if you're going east to west. Maybe 15 north to south. Maybe if you walk slow. The city walls, as is, is, is we would know it today, were nothing. A handful of goats could have hopped over them. The damage to that city was great. It was beginning to look like it was during the time uh, that would come later after the Babylonian captivity. It would even be further broken down, destroyed, burned. The Babylonians would lay siege and finally take the children captive. But at this point in time, they're still inside of it. They're, well, we're just going to hang on to the city. That's never a good idea. I want you to notice what's said next. And you gathered the waters in the lower pool. That is the pool of Siloam. This is an important piece of historical information. And I'll show you why in a moment. You numbered the houses of Jerusalem. The houses that you broke down to fortify your wall. If you go to Jerusalem today, you can actually see these walls that were made out of the stones from the broken down houses. They're buried underneath the rubble of the city. They're underground. You you see, the siege was on. King Hezekiah was making these fabulous preparations, like, we'll fortify, let's tear down these houses, we'll make the walls bigger. And and it's insane. You have this little ragtag band, maybe 10, 15,000 people at most, And you have the mightiest army on the face of the earth, the Assyrians, occupying the high ground all around the city of Jerusalem. And instead of turning to the Lord, they're going, well, we'll just make a bigger wall. We'll make a better water system. That's it. If we just have fresh water. And God's saying, as long as you're going to trust in that, you're not going to survive. 
you travel with us and a little bit of tidbit for you today. As you think on this place, this is Hezekiah's tunnel. And if you watch that little center, you'll see the inside of it. This is Pastor Rob, myself, and Maurice wandering through the exact collection system that's being mentioned here. Great King Hezekiah Hezekiah builds this tunnel. It's almost 1,700 feet long. It goes from the springs of Gihon, and it collects that water that you can clearly see in these pictures, and it funnels it into this pool, and Hezekiah's is thinking, man, if we just make sure this water makes it into the pool of Siloam, we'll have water, and we've got some food stored up, and we can stay in here forever. You see, the spring was actually outside of the city walls. And so Hezekiah just takes it on. It's like, man, we'll just build this incredible water system. And in verse 11, it says, And you also made a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool. You're looking at it. If you're watching online and you're tracking these slides. The exit of Hezekiah's tunnel, this incredible tunnel that's dug through solid rock, started by the Jebusites, finished off by King Hezekiah, an inscription inside of it that dates it perfectly to this time period, dumps into the pool of Siloam, exactly what the, what the Bible says. They were trusting in this. Notice what it says, but you did not look to its maker. You didn't look to me, nor did you have respect for him who fashioned it long ago. You might want to underline, highlight verse 11. For all of our abilities, for all of our technology, for all of our capability, for all the things that humankind can do, There are problems that will always be bigger than any solution we have with the arm of flesh. And God is saying to the the children of Israel that remain in Judah, and he's saying to us tonight, when are you going to look to me? When are you going to respect me? The, The basic thing that he's saying here is, did you forget who actually keeps the spring of Gihon continually flowing. If you go there today, between 85 and 230 gallons a minute come out of that tunnel. That's several bathtubs full. And it fills up this giant pool. From that pool, it flows down into the Brook Kidron. God has kept that spring running for the last 2,700 years. Yes, the tunnel's amazing. Yes, the water system is fabulous. Yes, the engineering is a marvel still to this day. When you travel through that tunnel, you're like, I can't believe they dug this tunnel. This is solid rock. It turns not once, not twice, not three times, not four times. It turns at least eight different times. And they didn't have a way to figure that out. God led them through that rock. 
God's the one that kept the spring flowing, that they were digging this channel to, to funnel into this pool. And it's so strange to me that we see these examples and we don't ask ourselves the fundamental basic question, well, who built the spring? Who's actually given us the water? Because you see, without the water, that's just a useless tunnel. If God didn't keep the water flowing, that tunnel becomes a death trap. And we look at all these things that we've made, the works of our hands, and we go, man, we are awesome. And we forget that God made our hands. We forget that God gave us the ability to think. We forget that he holds the whole universe together in the span of his hand. And we go, look how great we are. We'll build another wall. We'll build another tunnel. We'll store some more water. We'll just get lots of water. And that way, no matter how long the Assyrians are out there, we're going to be okay. And we're going to see as we move through this story over the next 15 chapters, really, that in the end, it was a God-sized problem, and it was going to take a God-sized solution. Men could never handle this problem. You see, you might be asking yourself, so what's the problem here? Well, the problem is the same problem that we still face. The, the, the prophet Isaiah looks at them, and he says, look, here's the problem. Verse 12, in that day, and so it points us towards the future, time of the great tribulation. But in that day, in that moment, Assyria was still up on the hillside. The Lord God of hosts called for weeping and mourning, for baldness and girding with sackcloth. God was saying, why don't you turn to me? Why don't you stop trusting in yourself and turn to me? But we don't like that. And it reminds us of that passage that everybody's quoting right now. And every time we have a major disaster in our country, everybody pulls out 2 Chronicles 7, 14. For if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Isn't it weird that we keep having to repeat that verse? You would kind of think that after a while we'd go, you know, hey, we've been through this before. Why don't we just turn to God now? Instead of waiting for the problem to play itself all the way out and go, oh, maybe we should turn to the Lord. Church, God's calling us to call on him. I think God's calling America to repent personally. I think God's speaking to our country going, you guys are so jacked up. If you don't turn to me, you're going to lose the whole thing. And people are going to go, oh, man, I can't believe you said that. We have the greatest military in the world. We got President Trump. We got President Biden next time. I mean, we got everything. No, we don't. What we have is what God's allowed us to have. It's all his. He's simply given us stewardship over it. And if we do not stop and acknowledge who he is, this country is swirling the drain, waiting for the final bit of water, just like Hezekiah could have been 
faced with the same thing. The moment God says that spring dries up, it dries up. We have what we have because God is good and his mercy endures forever. It's not because we're that great. Are are we blessed like no other nation on earth? Yes, we are. But what have we done with it? We've figured out new ways to hate each other, new ways to offend each other, new ways to seek to please ourselves. Is that what life's about? I don't think so. It isn't from the Bible's perspective, I can tell you that. The mistake that I think we often make is we look at the natural and we forget the supernatural. We we look at what's going on and go, well, I did that. We did that. It's like that because, and then you name 15 different things that humankind has done. And what God is saying, you know what? I could send coronavirus and take care of that whole mess in like two nanoseconds. Think about it. We have a microscopic virus that has shut down the economy of the greatest nation on the face of the earth. You think maybe God might be saying, hey, you think you got it together? Mm, Not so much. Now, I'm not saying I heard from the Lord that the coronavirus is a judgment of God, but maybe he is trying to get get our attention, and maybe it is a judgment from the Lord. It's kind of interesting that we've suffered a greater cost than any other nation on the face of the earth, including where it started. Maybe he's trying to get the church's attention. Maybe it's time for the church to wake up and say, you know, maybe we ought to turn our eyes to the Lord instead of towards these other things. He wants us to look to him. Even even when we're busy, even when things are good. That's why John 15 reminds us that that chapter is so beautiful. But there in verse 5, I am the vine. You are just the branches. And he who abides in me bears much fruit, but without me, You can't do a thing. You can't do anything. If I don't give you breath, you can't do a thing. If I don't make it so you can see in the morning, you don't even know where to go. If I don't open your ears, you won't hear. If I don't fuel your mind, you won't be able to think. Without me, you can do nothing. And yes, the greatest application of this means that we need to be grafted into the vine. We need to be believers, and that certainly is where we start. But for people who have already named the name of the Lord, and there are supposedly 50 million of us in this country at a minimum, why is it we have so little effect in this country? Why is it we're turning to the same things that people without Jesus are turning to? It's because we are not abiding in the vine. We're turning to the flesh. We're trying to figure out some new... Instead of teaching God's word, we're teaching politics. Instead of teaching God's word, we're teaching social reform. Instead of teaching God's word, we're teaching we ought to look like this and act like that. No, we ought to be what God's called us to be. 
And that was the problem that the children of Israel faced. And God took everything from them. Everything. Now that frightens me a tad. Because I'd rather that God didn't take everything from us. But I know that he did that to his chosen people. And so at least it leaves it on the table that he's not beyond doing that for us. We're not to trust in other things. We have to respond to this problem correctly. I have to do it from God's perspective. Instead of joy and gladness, slaying oxen, killing sheep, and eating meat and drinking wine, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Their answer was, let's party. Instead of sackcloth and ashes and seeking the face of the Lord, is it, well, let's go have a barbecue. Let's pretend nothing's happening. We'll just ignore the Assyrians. We'll just close our eyes and they won't be there. We'll think happy thoughts. We'll go to Disneyland. And if you're offended, I'm not against Disneyland. But the mentality is the same. It's like, we're not going to turn to the Lord. We'll turn to something else. What's America doing right now? What are we doing about coronavirus? Are we turning to the Lord? I can't change those laws. I've called, I've emailed. I've threatened to sue. I've watched other people do the same. We've been to the Supreme Court on this. And by we, I mean the church representatively. We're seeing domino after domino after domino of the things that we rest and trust in fall by the wayside. And I can tell you what's going to happen for the children of Israel. There was no cleansing it. Verse 14. And it was revealed in my hearing by the Lord of hosts. Surely for this iniquity there will be no atonement for you. Even if you die, says the Lord of hosts. They had turned so far from the Lord that even if they died, they weren't going to turn back to him. God help us. I don't believe that that's where we're at yet. But I believe that that's the road that many in this country are on. I think that's the direction people are going. They're saying, well, you know, this whole taking the Bible literally thing, the whole actually doing what it says thing, no, I want to make up my own rules. And so if I can make up my rules myself and I can make ones that please me and I just delete the Bible verses that I don't like and I create my own little version of the word of God, then I can live however I want. After all, love's love. We, I can, if I'm a man, I can just marry a man. If I'm a woman, I marry a woman. I just take out those verses which I don't like. I don't have to follow this law. Even though it's a law, I get to break this one because I don't like it. I'll just ignore that one. God's going to give me a free pass on being rebellious. Even though that's the spirit of the Antichrist, I can go ahead and do it because I got a special revelation from the Lord. Church, God's word's going to stand. And it's always going to be true.
We have that as a history in Calvary Chapel. If there's anything that's distinct about us, we believe that book is true. Not a prop. Mine is so marked up that at times I have to stop marking it because I believe that is truth. These people were going a terrible direction. And they were going to pay a horrible price. Notice it says, says the Lord God of hosts. When God has to use kind of his full title, he's not playing anymore. When Isaiah uses that title, the Lord God of hosts, the mighty one, El Shaddai. So don't forget who I am. What an awesome, terrible indictment. I wonder if the Lord isn't saying to us, don't forget, I'm the Lord God of hosts. A host of heaven asked to answer to me. Ultimately, every demon is fear, in utter fear and trembles at the name of Jesus. Oh, they know who he is and they're scared to death of him because they know where they're going. And yet sometimes people don't. Pretty sad when demons know better than people who have grace available to them. We have kind of a a picture of, of how you can approach this. Two guys, two very different walks. Verse 15, thus says again the Lord of hosts, go, proceed to the steward, to Shebna, who is over the house, and say, what have you here, and, and whom have you here, and what have you hewn a sepulcher here for, as he who hews himself a sepulcher on high, who carves a tomb for himself on a rock, Indeed, the Lord will throw you away violently, O mighty man, and will seize you. And so the first guy, Shebna, self-sufficient, self-dependent, doesn't care for the things of the Lord. says, look, I'm going to build a monument to myself. When you travel to Jerusalem on the southern end of the Temple Mount, the southern steps, if you're sitting on the southern steps and you gaze across the Kidron Valley, you're looking out at the tomb of Absalom. These incredible, ornate, rock-carved tombs that are in the bottom of the valley. And basically, God is saying, look, you see those tombs down there? Oh, you may think that you're something because you have one of those. But just as Jesus would say to the Pharisees, those things are filled with dead men's bones. They're beautiful on the outside. There's nothing but death inside of them. This guy was cutting one of these fancy sepulchers out. And he's, he's like, here, I'm, I'm going to go build me a super tomb so people will think I'm awesome. And basically God's saying, yeah, wait a second. I'm going to interrupt your plans a little bit. Verse 18, he will surely turn away violently and toss you like a ball into a large country. And there you shall die. And there your glorious chariots shall be shame for your master's house. And so I will drive you out of your office and from your position, and I will pull you down. He's basically saying, look, you think you're something because you have everything? 
you might want to rethink that. And then he says, then in that day, again, looking forward, it's most perfect fulfillment in the time that we call the tribulation, specifically the last half of it, the last three and a half years, the great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble when Israel comes to finally know Messiah, when they truly look on them, on him whom they pierced and they mourn and they give their life in faith. It is in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim. He says, look, here's this guy who's a, an official. They're, these guys are both officials. They're both men of state in that sense. But Shebna was concerned with what he could get out of life. He was carnal. He was worldly. He did things the world's way. And God says, I'm not going to bless that. Matter of fact, I'm going to take that away. And I'm going to give it to someone who will actually serve me. Notice what he says. I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. And I will clothe him with your robe and strengthen him with your belt. And I will commit your responsibility into his hand. And he shall be a father unto the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. So you have Shebna, who's a banker, the treasurer, if you will, of the corporation, building himself a monumental tomb. He's not a spiritual man. He's likely of the pro-Egypt party. He's kind of that guy that is always in the midst of politics, and he's running around trying to do everything the world's way, and he's not paying attention one second to God. He has everything. But what he doesn't know is he actually has nothing because it's all actually God's. And then you have Eliakim by contrast. And basically Shebna's going to get tossed like he's a ball off into a far land. He's going to end up dying in a far land. And he says to Eliakim, he says, look, I want to give you the key. I'm going to give you everything. And of course, we'll absolutely be able to see in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7 that this is a picture of the Lord Jesus himself. And of course, he is the greatest servant of all. He actually said that to his disciples. He said, he who desires among you to be great, let him become the servant of all. And then he himself did it by dying on the cross. And so Eliakim is God's choice. Over Shebna, this guy who was a foreigner, but he was rich. Eliakim was a servant. Shebna was a sucker. He was going to just get everything he could. Shebna was the flesh. Eliakim was the spirit. Shebna was of the Antichrist, and Eliakim was of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what this passage pictures to us is is what we ultimately will see in the church of Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3. Because God takes and gives this key to Jesus himself. Notice verse 22. I'm going to give to Eliakim the key of the house of David. And I will lay on his shoulder... In other words, I will be on him so heavily so that he shall open 
and no one shall shut, and he will shut, and no one will open. And verse 23, I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place, and he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. And of course, this is ultimately the Lord Jesus. He's saying, look, don't be like Shebna. Don't be carnal. Don't be fleshly. He, he thought his peg would hold up all of his goodies on his wall, but it was in dirt. It was in mud. And the moment you put anything on it, it would fall to the ground. The moment it got tested, the moment the waves lapped up on the shore of Shebna's life, his house came crumbling down. But to the servant, to Eliakim, in the same way that, that Jesus, writing through John, writes to the church at Philadelphia, these things says, He who is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David, he that opens that no man shuts and shuts and no man's open. He quotes Isaiah the prophet. He says, that's Jesus. Jesus opens up doors of opportunity. Jesus closes doors of opportunity. Jesus is the secure peg on which we can hang our eternity. Only Jesus is holy and true. Only Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by him. That's the basis of the gospel. That's what the cross is all about, is that anyone can come to Christ. To all who call upon the Lord, they will be saved. But you have to want to be a servant, not a king. You have to want to serve others, not be served by others. You have to want to listen to the Lord, not tell the Lord what to do. They will hang on him the glory of his father's house. The offspring, the prosperity, verse 24, says all the vessels of small quantity, from the cups to all of the pitchers. And in that day, and again, focusing forward, forward from tonight, by the way, in that day, says the Lord of hosts, would partially be fulfilled when the Assyrians came, but it looks to its greatest fulfillment when the Lord comes. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, the peg that is fastened in the secure place, the life that is in Christ, the one that hangs his hat on Jesus. A peg that is fastened in a secure place that isn't on Jesus will be moved and cut down and fall, and the burden that was spoken of it will be cut off, for the Lord has spoken it. He's saying, look, if you're, if you're not hanging on the key of David, if you're not hanging on the one true and the one who opens and shuts, if you're hanging on some other peg, if your life is pegged to the wall of your existence by something other than the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you're in deep trouble. The children of Judah thought that their peg was secure in Hezekiah's tunnel. They thought it was secure in their food stores. They thought it was secure in their walls. They thought it was secure in all kinds of things. But it wasn't secure. It was going to come crashing down. No other peg except Jesus will ever hold up. No other peg save the Lord will hold up. Only that which hangs on Jesus is truly secure. 
That's why Jesus emphasizes that in the book of Revelation. That's what he's getting at. He's that one true key. Why? Because he is the only one who's holy. He is the only one who's true. He has the authority. He has the power. He has the majesty. He has the might. He alone is worthy of worship. Church, I, I implore you by the mercies of God, don't turn to the world during this time. Don't turn to the flesh at this time. Don't go to the Assyrians at this time. No matter how good it may look from you being on the rooftop of your life right now going, who's going to save us? This key phrase found there in verse 22, the key to the house of David, God's going to put it on him, on Jesus ultimately. And before Eliakim even receives this key, there's an incident where David is given, gives Eliakim the rights to the key of David. And King Hezekiah caught Shebna, the former key holder, in a fraud. And he says, look, you're gone. Jesus has the political right to rule. You want to know who the righteous king is? It's Jesus. You want to know who can lead us out of this coronavirus madness? It's Jesus. You want to know who can cure the racial injustice and inequity, the lack of opportunity? It's Jesus. You want to know who can kill racism dead in its tracks? It's Jesus. You want to know who can fix the financial problems that people have because they don't have the opportunities? It's Jesus. He's the one true king. He's the one that can open a door and nobody can shut it. And he's the one that can close them that shouldn't be open. And we see both those kind of doors. The book of Acts has, has that picture, a shut door. Paul's going to go off and, and he's gone through uh, Fergia to the region of Galatia. And they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit wouldn't even permit him to pass through. He says, look, I don't want you over there. God is able. He's able to speak into our lives. And in contrast, Paul writes to the church at Corinth in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians. He says, for a great and effective door was opened. But he went on to say that there are many adversaries. Church, I I think we're in this space. We're in this place right now as a nation. And we can't become obstinate and turn to the flesh. We have to turn to the Lord. We have to be peaceable and kind and gentle and meek and humble. We have to be like the Lord. We have to stay steadfast and movable and always abounding in that labor in him. It's not in vain. We have to put on the full armor of God. We have to gird ourselves up. Our feet need to be shod with peace. What does the world need right now? Peace. That's part of the armor of God. We need to have our hearts covered right now because our emotions are running rampant. We need the breastplate of righteousness to cover our hearts right now. We need righteousness, not more laws. Laws are just going to get broken. Not that laws are bad. But until you change the heart of man, you will never be able to fix the problems. The heart of man is deceitful. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Bible is clear. 
All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, not one. These are truths that are found in the word of God. It tells us that the hope is not in ourselves. Our only hope is him. We should be walking through every door that God opens. And we should not walk through any door he doesn't open. You might say, well, I don't know. Well, I can tell you how to know at least in in a better way because he wants us to know what his will is. We know when we're walking in the spirit that we're at least going the right direction. Gentle, kind, peaceable, self-controlled. But if we're unjust, if we have to lie and cheat and deceive, if we have to do things the world's way, I can tell you we're not going God's way. We ought to have speech that's seasoned with grace so we'd know how to answer people. Imagine in our political discourse today if we would just have people speaking with grace, with love and tenderness, understanding the weaknesses of others because we all have them. That's why Paul said that that great and effective door was open, but there are many adversaries. That's what he was getting at. People aren't going to want us to be kind. They want us to do something. Just do something. How did a guy say that to me today? Well, I just wish we'd do something. Well, we are doing something. Don't ever think that praying is not doing something. It's doing the most important thing. Seeking the face of the Lord, following what his word says. Those are things we should be doing. I can tell you that emphatically. May we walk through those doors that God opens and not try and kick down ones that aren't. Would we be an example to the world, not the shame of the Lord? There's a burden in my heart when I, when I see what's going on in our world and God is being blamed for the actions of the church because we won't stand. We won't be true to what his word says. We're concerned about many things. We've all turned into a bunch of Marthas. And we'll get there on Sundays here very shortly. We need to spend some more time sitting at the feet of Jesus. Not trying to figure out new ways to build new walls. And new water systems. And new barns. New embattlements. New chariots. New swords. In other words, it's the difference between walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. The spirit is mighty. God is mighty unto the tearing down of the strongholds of the wicked one. But we've got to turn to him. The children of Israel learned a very painful lesson because they refused to turn. And may that not be our lot. Would we turn to the Lord before it's too late and cast ourselves on the mercies of God? If you don't know the Lord, there are pastors that are online right now They would love to pray with you and lead you in a simple prayer just to invite Christ into your life to share the good news of the gospel because you can know that peg that's in a secure place. His name is Jesus. You can have your life fixed forever for eternity. His name is Jesus. Cast your cares on him. He cares for you. Let's pray. Father, we... Come as your children tonight. Lord, I come 
as a child of God, not as a pastor, not as a leader, but as one of your kids. And Lord, I grieve for our nation. I grieve for those that are hurting tonight. I grieve for those that have suffered injustice. I grieve, Lord, for those that are suffering with the coronavirus. I grieve for those that have lost their jobs, Lord, because I know you are grieved over these things. If you care about sparrows dropping to the ground and flowers that are in the field and burned up in the noonday sun, then surely you care about us who are created in your image. All of us, every last one of us, Lord. Every tribe and tongue and nation. That's why your word tells us there's no Jew, no Greek. There isn't man, there isn't woman. We're not divided by race. We are one in you. There is one Lord, one faith, one hope, one baptism. And you are the Lord of us all. And so, Lord, we ask you, God, we cry out to you, heal our land. Make us a people that doesn't turn to the flesh, doesn't look at our wonderful waterworks, but looks at the wonderful face of the Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.